This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. Hello and welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast where each week I have the privilege of talking with amazing fierce and lovely women who are living out fierce and lovely lives all over the world. I have been so encouraged by hearing from my guests almost as much as I am encouraged by hearing from you. I wanted to give a shout out today to a reviewer on iTunes, Brownface30. I love these names. So whoever you are, uh, thank you for writing What's Needed Today. Fierce and lovely moves and shakes and inspires me to keep moving, keep pressing, keep doing good work. Thank you. Well, Brownface30, thank you for taking a minute to leave a review. And I am so glad that you are being inspired to keep doing good work. So am I. Um, Would love to hear from some of you who are listening. Leave a review and I will give you a shout out perhaps. Uh, Well, today's guest is no different. Uh, She is my friend, Andy Colbert. And I have known her for years through Redbud Writers Guild. And I'm so thrilled that her first book, Try Softer, releases today. Today. This is the book that I have been wanting for years. As um, uh, the wife of a therapist and co-owner of a counseling center, I have longed for an accessible book that talks about uh, mental health issues and caring for ourselves through a psychological lens in a way that I can can get, can wrap my, my head around, and Try Softer is that book. Um, I am so just in- excited that it is out today, and I will let Andi dive in and describe it uh, for you better, and you can find out where you can grab a copy in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Andi. Hello, Andi. Welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to talk with you today. Let's start off by hearing a little bit more about who you are, where you are, uh, what fills your days, all that that good personal stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So I am a licensed therapist in Castle Rock, Colorado. I've been practicing for over a decade. And I I come from what I call a trauma-informed perspective, um, which just really sort of looks to say that um, I I really look at people holistically and and how their stories really affect how they show up in the world. And, you know, just looking at, um, I think sometimes we try to divide ourselves too much in different situations. So just taking a much more holistic perspective with folks. Um, I have been married to my best friend, Brendan, for, gosh, 12 and a half years. And I have two kiddos, Mattia and Jude. They are seven, and Jude just turned three. 
And yeah, I, I really kind of divide my time. I have a fairly small private practice, but then I also do writing and speaking and also just being a mom, which I pretty much always say is the best and hardest job I've for sure ever had. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially when they're so young, those ages can be really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> um, Andy, that's a lot to juggle. You've got a lot going on. And I know you you just are releasing a new book, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But before we dive into kind of that part of, of your world, I'd love to hear you talk about the intersection of fierce and lovely in your own life. What do you think about those two words? Where do you see them uh, at play for you? Uh, how do you react even to those words? What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I just love that that's the name of your podcast because honestly, that feels like such a great um, and and sort of like right on in terms of a paradox that I feel like describes me. I mean, maybe that's... Um, just because I think there's a part of myself that has absolutely um, developed into I have a fierceness. And, and part of that is in my story of I'm a survivor of complex trauma in my family. And so I think part of the way that I learned to sort of adapt and survive in the world was partly through having a part of myself that was just this, just this really hard worker. Um, I played college basketball, I played three sports, and that's, I think that's especially where that part of myself developed. Um, but I find myself um, at times when I need to really leaning on that fierceness when something is maybe scary or intimidating um, to say, you know what, I've done hard things in the past and I can do them again, you know, knowing God is with me. Um, and then the other side of that, that lovely element, um, man, I just, that's such a great word because I think what it reminds me of is just, honestly, it reminds me of peace. Um, I think it reminds me of just presence and being really aware of the world because the world is um, it's it's hard. It's like it's a difficult world, but it's a beautiful world, and so I think that is you know that paradox of holding those together creates just this fullness um, that obviously I'm so far from perfect, but I I just resonate with how those words pair together. Hmm. So I hear in that a fierceness almost is an action, uh, more active. It's a drive. It's um, often what carries us forward and through. And lovely almost is the stopping for breath and mm. the noticing, the attentiveness. Is I mean, that's kind of what I'm hearing in your description, which yeah. is so beautiful. Yeah, I think that fierceness reminds me almost of the part of myself that is willing to protect the lovely. Um, mm -hmm. And I need, you know, I think we need both because mm -hmm. the reality is, you know, I think about things like setting boundaries. I think, I think of that as like a fierce love for oneself is to say, you know, I don't want to hurt someone else or I don't want to make someone else uncomfortable. And yet like I am also, and each of us are the Imago Dei and we are valuable. And so it's like we need to be able to tap into that part of ourselves to protect um, that stillness and that peace. Hmm. 
I love that. And that's that's the whole point, right? And me really wrestling with those words is if we are a reflection of God, the Imago Dei, then there ought to be something intrinsically true of all of us, especially as women. Mm. And so just exploring how those two words are a reflection of the Imago Dei in us has been a just a journey for me. I've really enjoyed hearing um, from guests and what what you guys think about those words, how you describe them to be intersecting in your own lives. So thank you for that. I, I love starting off our podcast with, with that. Um, so let's dive in. Your book, Try Softer, comes out today. And it is really, Andy, the most accessible um, book that I have read on counseling principles, mental health um, perspective, and I've I've been exposed to a lot because I'm married <laughs> to a therapist, and so I I enjoyed reading yours, and I would love to dive into it. Can we just start with you sharing what the core message of Try Softer mm. is all about? Yeah. Before I say that, I just want to say thank you so much because I think hearing you say that just like that's such a huge goal, um, like like creating language. I m- part of my hope for this book has been to cr- help provide some language that feels accessible for people, and so that just encourages me so much. So first of all, thank you so much. Good. Um, so the core message of Try Softer, really, so much of it boils down to that that I believe each of us are beloved and worthy of compassionate attention in the same way that God is already compassionate to us. And so that those phrases, I think on the surface can be like, well, yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, But there's so much that I think many of us maybe know that cognitively to some extent, but we in my experience um, as a person, as a therapist, as a woman, as a mother, is that it is much harder to embody that truth. And so try softer, you know, this compassionate attention phrase, I sort of use those simultaneously. Um, like compassionate attention is is what I mean by trying softer. It is it is the it is the mode by which we try softer is we learn to pay compassionate attention to ourselves. And it's in doing that, that we learn to steward the compassion that God has for us towards the parts of ourselves that maybe don't know how to receive that. Maybe that are carrying some deep wounds. Um, Oftentimes we, we carry a lot in our subconscious. Um, Often it's from our, our childhood and in our bodies just hold those stories. And without bringing those to our attention, um, they oftentimes just live out in our lives and we don't even realize it. Hmm. I I love the distinction because what I'm hearing in compassionate attention is so different than what I hear in terms of self-care, right? It's mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of not it could be conflated, but that's not the message I'm getting from from what you're describing here in terms of let's look to ourselves, let's navel gaze, let's um, you know pull away and pamper ourselves for self care. I see it differently, right? That 
that we are attending to ourselves the way God wants to attend to us in mm-hmm. those deepest places out of out of motherness, like the motherly side of God, the nurturing side of God. Yeah. The, um, well, I, 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 right? I'm hearing yeah, it differently. Yeah. This, yeah. Well, so I think what sometimes happens is that self-care, it's not, and I just want to say, I, you know, I don't think self-care is a bad thing, but what can happen is we don't know how to listen to our actual needs. Um, and, and so what can happen is that, that we can sort of get stuck in looking for things to fill uh, and to, to sort of help the pain. And mm. that is what I think we sometimes, you know, I think from the outside that can look like um, indulgence. Mm-hmm. But in, I think from a trauma-informed perspective, what I think that really is, is an incomplete way of like, it's not, it's not fully addressing what's actually going on. And so it's sort of like we're throwing something at it, but it's not maybe what we actually need. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Totally. That's the the Netflix binging, the yes. having a you know extra glass of wine. It's it's those sorts of things where we're we think we're making ourselves feel better, we're doing self care, but we're completely missing the actual thing that's going on in our heart right then. Yeah, and I think that's where you know one of the things I go into in the book and. And hopefully, like it does feel accessible, but I talk a lot about our nervous system. And I know for a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, okay, whoa. <laughs> but the simple aspect of this, and, and I know you and I kind of touched on this in our pre talk, but that each of us have what's called a window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is connected to our nervous system, and it's the range in which we can feel our feelings or experience emotions or arousal and our whole brain and body sort of stays online. It stays integrated. And what can happen is, is that if something feels threatening to our body for lots of different reasons, right? It could be because of a a childhood experience that at the time really was threatening. It could be because maybe we've never had the support to feel our feelings, but we can quickly go outside of our window of tolerance. And first we would go to like fight or flight, or potentially we would go to freeze, or that's essentially a form of sort of depression. And that's where, when you name things like, um, having that extra glass of wine or Netflix binge, a lot of times where that comes from is we're going out of our window of tolerance and we don't know what to do to like regulate ourselves or care for ourselves. And so we're just reaching for whatever has worked for us in some way in the past. Hmm. And so it's really rooted in that nervous system. Yeah. Andy, give us a couple of examples of what that might look like in in our lives where we have exceeded the window of tolerance. Yeah. Yep. So a great, like a a really common example I've, you know, seen a lot and even experienced is let's say you have someone who, you know, they grew up in a family where there was um, any time that they didn't meet the expectations, maybe they were shamed. And that just became this really common experience for them. And 
what happened to their nervous system is that it got really overwhelmed because shame, that's something that shame can do. And it sort of gets stuck in our nervous system. We would call that an, a little T trauma, anything that overwhelms our nervous system's ability to, to cope. So let's say you have a whole like childhood and story of all these little T traumas are connected to shame. And then you go to your work, you know, now you're, now you're 35 and you go to work and you have a really hard day at work. Um, and your boss, you know, you notice that you're getting these looks from your boss and, and it feels a little passive aggressive and your body begins to, you know, maybe you start noticing your heart is racing and you feel like you just need, like you're walking on eggshells and then you get home from work that day. And all that you want to do is honestly sit in front of the TV and veg out because it just feels like way too much to even consider how to handle this situation. Um, so that's an example of like how our, our childhood could create a, a, a template for how we deal with things. And then we experience it in the present day. And then without better tools to handle it, we may try, we will just use the same coping skills to sort of self-medicate when we're going outside of our window of tolerance. Hmm. And so what would a try softer approach be to ourselves in that situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing with Trisofter is that we just have to at least become aware <laughs> of our bodies and aware of like even the narratives that we're holding. And so like for this, this example, um, you know, this, this person, um, you know, maybe she, um, she just begins to notice that when she's at work, um, that her heart is racing and that she just wants to please her boss. And she's noticing in her body that she just all of a sudden has this pit in her stomach. Even then, she could begin to, the compassionate attention would start with her asking with curiosity, like, what, what might I need right now to be more gentle with myself? And so she might say, you know what, I think I need to go outside and just take a little walk and take a a break. And maybe, you know, that might mean listening to some, maybe even some really encouraging worship music for a couple minutes and sort of accessing her own internal parent in herself that might give her some perspective like, you know, even though your boss is frustrated with you, you're doing the best you can. And it doesn't mean it's perfect, but you know what? I'm really proud of you for taking care of yourself right now. And maybe we could ask for some constructive feedback about how to do this differently. Hmm. And what she might find when she comes home that day is that it's not that she doesn't, it's not that it's easy, but she might then continue the conversation like, hey, I noticed that you didn't eat lunch today because you were so anxious. Let's make sure you get a healthy meal. And let's drink extra water because, um, you know, I can can tell you're kind of dehydrated. And instead of staying up late watching movies that you don't even care about, I think let's try to get to bed early because I know that that will help you feel Mm. better tomorrow. And so, you know, all of these are, they're sort of simple, right? But it's, it's this very like, it's, it's like accessing our own internal parent Mm. in the same way that God would want to parent us. Um, and does parent us. It's sort of giving that to ourselves. Hmm. 
Andi, do you think that all of those um, maybe little T traumas or the triggers that are experienced now in the 35-year-old are connected to childhood wounds? Is there always a connection? Or and are they always that ancient? Or can there be more recent situations that would cause us to exceed our window of tolerance as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say they're not. It's not always connected to childhood wounds. But what I would say, and and I, I will continue to answer the question. But we know that there's something in the range of almost fifty percent of Americans have attachment, like insecure attachment, which in and of itself is a form of little T trauma. And we could potentially come back to that. But I think why that is significant is because it points to um, the, the way in which our parents or caregivers attended to us when we were in pain or had needs. And that actually really mirrors the way we attend to ourselves in adulthood if we haven't done some work around that. So when you think about that, that's a high <laughs> Like that's a really high percentage of folks yes. who've got at least something that is even just a foundational part. So I would say not everyone, but many, many folks have that as part of their stories. Um, however, the parts that I would say aren't necessarily from childhood, um, we could name other things. Like we could name just our culture. <laughs> our culture is a try hard culture, meaning. Like we, we really celebrate folks who sort of ignore themselves and ignore their bodies and who pretend they're okay when they're not okay. And who even just at times value, you know, we just tend to value people based on what they do. And all of this points to, and really is part of what can create those little T traumas. Because if we're not connected to our bodies, that's sort of the, that's the breeding ground for um, experiences that are disturbing. Like that's how they stay stuck in our body because we're not tapping into our body's natural ability to move through pain. Hmm. And, and so I would just say, you know, sometimes folks have had good enough parents. They've had experiences of care but maybe later they were in systems that were really um, like it could be a, a it could be a church system it could be um, it could be a workplace system it could be a school system it could be a team and at times it can even be our bigger culture that um, sort of chips away at that that secure attachment with oneself. Hmm. Wow. That's very, I'm just running through my adult life <laughs> and I'm, I'm seeing several instances of where that would be the case. That makes a lot of sense. But let's go back to the 50% who have some sort of insecure attachment because you're right, that is a crazy high percentage. And you talk a lot, you have a whole chapter on attachment in your book, which was helpful again, because I've encountered it in a much more heady way in the past, and it's been hard to wrap my mind around it. So explain the, the four areas of attachment um, for, for us non-therapists, and, and then talk about why the insecure attachment would be such a big factor. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah. So I think, um, you know, what I quote in my book is that it's something like 35 to 50% of Americans are believed to have an insecure attachment style. So there's definitely, you know, there's some wiggle room within that, but even still, that's really significant. And essentially, like, like we talked about, attachment is based off of, it it first begins with our earliest experiences of care um, from our parents or our caregivers. And, and what happens in our bodies is that based off of those interactions, we essentially create a template. Like, And what I mean by that is we have a predictive story in our body <laughs> about what relationships are like and what it's like to be cared for by another. And that's actually then how we come to care for ourselves. That becomes our internal parent. Um, and so when we have a secure attachment, we have a good enough parent, meaning it's not perfect. It's, but there's enough, um, attentiveness that we know in general, like when there's, when there's things that are hard or painful, like there's someone there that cares for us, that we can care for ourselves and that the world in general, um, is a, is a fairly safe place, not perfect, but we sort of know how to ask for help. But these other, there's this other style, the insecure attachment. And and within that, there are three styles. The first one is avoidant attachment. And that essentially speaks to typically um, someone who has an avoidant attachment in adulthood had parents or caregivers who maybe they provided for them like in a material way, but emotionally, um, there was, there was not like basically no attentiveness. It was sort of like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, I don't care if you're in pain. I don't care if you're hurting. Like you just, you, you get over it and you figure it out. And so what happens is, is that the kiddo then internalizes the belief that um, there will be no one there to, to help. And so what happens is they, they cope by, really um, learning to isolate and avoid emotions. And that's where that avoidant style comes from. And so they might lean really heavily on cognitive um, process. And that's the way they've learned to cope. Um, And so a a lot of times if someone brings up emotion, that actually really shuts them down and they will want to avoid that. And so that's what the avoidant style tends to look like. And then there's another style called anxious ambivalent. And that tends to look like when a parent has been really inconsistent or parents, where maybe sometimes they were there and and loving and attentive, but maybe other times and some really significant times, um, they really weren't there. And the child experienced what felt like abandonment to them. And so in adulthood, they come to predict that people will abandon them, that things don't last that they will ultimately, they sort of feel too much and they often blame themselves for being too much. And then the last style is called disorganized. And in adulthood, that is called fearful avoidant. And that that's tied to really significant trauma a lot of times where the parent themselves has even been part of the trauma. Like they have been scary or overwhelming to the, to the child. And so in adulthood, that tends to look like a person who wants to feel close to someone, but it's so scary because they're wondering when they will be hurt 
or when they will be abused or used by the person closest to them. Hmm. Andy, how, first of all, thank you for that really articulate description. Um, how do we begin to apply the try softer method in our lives when we might resonate with one of those and see, okay, I can see how maybe that's my style of, of attachment. And perhaps without going to counseling or before going to counseling, how do we begin to have compassionate attention to ourselves in that and begin to parent ourselves, like you said, and heal um, and grow despite that attachment? Yeah. Template. yeah. I love that word template that you that mm-hmm. have from childhood. Yeah. So I think one thing, and I would just encourage anyone who feels that way to definitely pick up a copy because I, I do, and I, you know, I know you um, felt this way too in terms of reading. Um, I, I try to give some thoughts on where to start, but, but for your listeners, I think the first thing is to recognize just to actually get really curious with ourselves about like, um, because we sort of have to have a place to know what is the good enough parenting. So my first question would be like to ask like who do you feel secure with and safe with in your life? And then how do you react to them when maybe they disappoint you or when you feel hurt by them or um when something hard happens? Like who do you reach out to? Because within those types of questions there's actually a ton of information about your attachment style, or maybe even the way your attachment style leans, because we can actually have a blend of styles. Um, and and I think it's important to hear that you, we can move towards secure attachment as well. Um, and so, like, for example, my story is that I had more of a insecure attachment that was anxious ambivalent. With my husband, I often, he was really trustworthy, but I would often predict that he would let me down. And that has been a, a part of huge growth and healing for me. And, and I think we can't rush that, but what we can do is vocalize like what we need from the, per- from the people we do feel secure with. Um, so for instance, like in my case, for me to be able to say to my husband, like, I know that you um, are going, like, I believe that you probably will be at X place when you say that you will, but there is a part of me that feels really scared that you're actually just going to leave me high and dry there. And first hearing maybe from him that like truly he is going to do his his best, you know, to be there. But then I can listen to that part of myself that's scared. And I can say to my younger on the self, honey, I know you're afraid. I know that there were times in the past that you really needed someone and they weren't there. But I want you to know I'm with you right now and I'm not going to leave you. And I'm advocating for you. And we're going to do the best that we can. And so what we're doing there is we're in the present day working with the people closest to us to sort of create our and have our support team. But then internally, I'm working to soothe that young part of myself that maybe still feels afraid. Hmm. What a what a great example. That's does that work, Andy? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's been it's been the work of my life, but my goodness, I can honestly say after a decade, I just I never dreamed that I would be 
where I am personally. And I, and not everybody's story is going to be like mine, but you know, I think I had to write Trisofter because this is the book I wish I had when mm. I was when I was 20 years old and when I was 25 years old. Hmm. Well, Andy, I know that my listeners are going to be more curious um, because this is not a topic that we're pulling off the bookstore shelves very often, right, in our Christian women's literature. And so, of course, I'll be pointing them to the book in the show notes, but where else can they hear more from you and learn more uh, from you? Where can they find you online? Yeah, so you can find me at ondicolber.com. And if you sign up for my newsletter, one thing I do is like a monthly sort of meditative, um, like a a emotional regulation exercise that I send out in a video. So if listeners are interested, that's something they can look to sign up for. And then you can find me on Twitter at Andy Colber and on Instagram at Andy Colber. All right. Great. Well, best of luck to you as your book releases this month. Um, I hope it goes well and that you enjoy the process. Thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing with us just your expertise and some of your stories. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You can pick up a copy of Try Softer wherever books are sold. And what a great book to launch 2020 reading, to better understand ourselves, to figure out perhaps our own attachment style and how that impacts our adult relationships, where some of those triggers might be coming from, what is our window of tolerance and when have we exceeded it, and how can we have compassionate attention toward ourselves in the way that God has toward us, and how can we parent ourselves in the way that God wants to parent us. I loved it. You can follow Andy at andycolber.com. You can follow me at bethbruno.org. And as always, I will see you next week as we have our conversation with the next fierce and lovely woman. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.